0: on canuck central in the kintech studio this hour is brought to you by brivo brivo provides convenient cloud-based access control systems from your mobile device for any industry go to lp.brevo.com slash canada for a smart demonstration stan Riccio and satyar shaw we're in the kintech studio uh, don taylor is going to join us uh, later this hour but still uh, a lot to get to uh this text coming in regarding the Monday menu and my decision to uh, throw traditional panettone back into the kitchen. Uh, this one from Mauro Giammaria. Pandoro is the best panettone by far. And also, Reach, I'd love it if you pronounce my name pro- properly. So hope I hope I did your name a service there, Mauro.
1: All right.
0: <laughs> <laughs> Sass was like, what? Well, okay, I'm, I'm... Sure. <laughs> Are we talking hockey again? By the way, Sat. What's so up? uh a heavyweight tilt in the SportsNet 650 fantasy football league even, this weekend. Don't even
1: don't even start with me now. Uh
0: I the 8th seed without uh Nick Chubb and suffering through a litany of injuries all season long snuck into the playoffs somehow some way.
1: How many points are you back now, 8 or 9? Uh in in the matchup? Yeah.
0: Well, I was just about to to tell everybody. Uh, sat who dominated the league
1: like dominated had a the 12 and 2 record through the regular season and and not like a, a fluky 12 and 2 record like I outscored the second team by like over 100 points and like you didn't point. even
0: have to like make any trades just because you you drafted the perfect team yeah it was fantastic it was fantastic you had Tua you had Travis Etienne Jameer Gibbs Jamar Chase Michael Pittman TJ Hawkinson tank Dell even who oh, got hurt you drafted tank Dell it wasn't Pacheco? even a waiver
1: pickup and Pacheco who was fantastic he's also hurt now
0: uh so anyways mm. sad <laughs> uh with 86.76 points is uh done and dusted for the weekend and I've got Tyler Lockett going I'm down 11 points I'm at 75.
1: yeah I just I don't know man I'm so upset about this. <laughs> like so like so Jamar Chase gets hurt in the game. He goes out yesterday. Yeah. Uh, Michael Pittman was like crushing in the first quarter and then takes a massive head uh, helmet to helmet hit. Gets out of the game. He doesn't play. Pacheco was ruled out before the game. And I don't know, man. It's just <laughs> that's why I hate fantasy you know what pissed me off was Dom Stramatti and I like Dom but like he pissed me off the other day he's like oh you're gonna walk away with this against reach and I don't believe in jinxes or anything but I'm like dude are you new it's fantasy football like anything can happen in a playoff matchup in fantasy football like literally anything can happen it's it's one week and it's like what if things just don't align for you and I'm, I'm literally having my worst week all season yeah and it's in the playoffs against you
0: well it's like uh in one of my other leagues I have Josh Allen he's like carried me all season for most of the season, he's been the best quarterback in the league, fantasy-wise. And he was just okay yesterday. And that just hurts. Okay. He was just okay. Had Tyreek Hill carry you throughout the whole season? Out first week of the playoffs. Great. Yeah. Guess what? You've got no chance of winning now. So that's just kind of how, kind of how it works.
1: Very uh, disappointing.
0: Uh, well, we'll see. If Sat uh, truly hates me tomorrow, then uh, you'll know that he lost in this matchup.
1: May not even show up tomorrow. <laughs> No, there's a game I have to.
0: At least your Browns got a weekend, and Chelsea. So from that perspective, it was was good. You know,
1: I'll say this: Um, as a diehard Chelsea and Browns fan, uh, my weekends are always great. If one team wins, if both win, then like I'm actually taking this in stride. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, Dominic, Dom, texted me right now, all caps. I'm sorry.
0: Uh, you'll really have to apologize, Dom, if uh, Tyler Lockett manages to get 12 PPR points this evening. Uh, all right. <laughs> uh, so the fourth coach of the season was fired today. Uh, DJ Smith, the latest to get handed his papers, and he is out with the Ottawa Senators. And uh, was it a week after they announced Jacques Martin was going to be a senior consultant to the coaching staff? He is now the interim head coach. Funny how that works.
1: Yeah, he wasn't just uh, he wasn't just an assistant to the senior uh, uh, advisor, right? Like he's lo- actually he came in with an actual title yeah. to take over. So do you I, I lo- think they wanted to make this move earlier?
0: I feel like they did, but it's, it's just so funny how like the, after they hire Jacques Martin, like the the whole thing was like, no, he's he's not here to coach. Like he's he's not this is, this is not what's happening. He's not he's not here to coach. Okay, he's seventy one now. He's he doesn't want to coach. Sure, he doesn't want to coach. A week later, oh, well, we lost to Vegas, so we're gonna be calm and rational
1: <laughs> about this and still fail. <laughs> like honestly, so I mean, they should have made this move earlier. I my my theory kind is of feels like the Canucks with Boudreaux last yeah. year. If you
0: make the decision earlier, maybe you still have a chance to get back to the playoff yeah, picture.
1: I, but I, but I, I mean, one of my theories last year was like when the Canucks didn't make the move earlier. I'm like, are they are they secretly okay with? this season going sideways and like not squeaking into the playoffs right. so they can trade, you know, a bow and do some other things or whatever it is. Like did they almost prefer They
0: needed a re- almost like they felt they needed a reset year.
1: Yeah, it's like a false flag operation yes. by the Canucks. <laughs> <laughs> but no, uh, I just somewhat. Uh but I, it made me think a bit cuz like they just remember like and especially when Boudreaux was kind of hanging in the wind. Yeah. too. it's like are you, are you, why don't you just make this move? <laughs> but uh, my theory with the with the sends is that they probably wanted to make this move. But when Brady Kachuk had his uh, passionate defense of the head coach after the fans were chanting, fire, DJ, yeah. and the, the team had asked management to cool everything down, like Elliot had reported, that they wanted less turmoil. They wanted things to be calm. They didn't want you know controversy going on. They, they felt like they needed that peace and quiet. I think that's the only reason why this didn't happen earlier.
0: It, uh, it is strange how it's taken so long like the conversations around DJ Smith didn't really happen yesterday after their loss to Vegas or a week ago, or when the fans were chanting fire DJ Smith. I mean, it's been a while now he's been in that job for quite some time. And while, yeah, when he took over the job at first, they were a bad team going through a bit of a rebuild and it was the long term play. There hasn't been any results, even as the talent on the roster has improved the last couple of seasons. And it's when it becomes the same issues, when your defensive frailties aren't being cleaned up. That's when, you know, the coach isn't getting the buy-in that he needs in order for the team to have success. And it's pretty obvious that it's been going that way with the Ottawa Senators. And I know because I've listened and, and heard and read some of the stuff after the firing of how people are looking at this Ottawa Senators team right now, and it's the same thing. It's the same thing we saw with Edmonton. It's the same thing we saw with Minnesota. Oh, the underlying profile. It's all really good. They're really just, it's just bad goaltending. That's that's all it is. If Show me a good coach, I'll show you a good goalie. Isn't that the old line? And, well, I'm not here to completely dispute that. There's a reason there is a common theme with all of these teams. And it's not just that the goalie is playing poorly. It's that you have a bad goalie, plus your team in front of them is not helping them out at all. And that's where the issue truly lies. We saw Minnesota on Saturday, Sat. I heard Shorty, and we talked about it a little bit too, oh, their penalty kill on home ice is less than 70%. Well, most of that was done with the previous head coach and I'm watching Minnesota's penalty kill on Saturday. I'm like, these guys look pretty good. (laughs) They were aggressive. They were really taking away time and space from the Vancouver Canucks. And it's, Oh yeah. It's not so much on the goalie because they're not giving up nearly the types of chances that they were earlier. You saw it with Edmonton earlier in the year, they were giving up odd man chance after odd man chance. And it's like, Oh, the goalie can't make a save. What, what save do you want the goalie to make? He's not Dominic freaking hashes. It's
1: like three-on-ones three like three on and like cross-scene passes happening. Like and come
0: on. now it, it's been happening with Ottawa. Like, yeah, did they give up six goals a game because Jonas Corposalo can't make a save? Sure, he's not making enough saves, but you give the opposition the the kind of chances that they are giving, those, giving up, like your goalie's not going to make those saves. And so you hire Jacques Martin, you bring in a defensive coach to try and guide this young team into playing a more structured type of hockey i guarantee you they're going to have more success if jacques martin well i should say when because generally when a new coach comes in you do get a certain level of buy-in it's about maintaining it afterwards but when he gets that defensive sort of buy-in from his team you're going to see much better results and i bet you the goaltenders look better for the Ottawa Senators as well.
1: Yeah, and and I think what oftentimes happens, and we saw with Edmonton too, people pointed at their expected goals and their and their chance chances and everything. It's like, well, look at these numbers; they they don't lie. And sure, they do down
0: three goals a game. Of course, you're just going to be like pepper and shots, throwing the kitchen sink to get back in.
1: That's part of it, but also I think the biggest thing that wanes when buy-in isn't there anymore is the details. Yeah, and and it sounds like a cliche, but unlike some of the cliches we mentioned in the first segment that are very much a narrative. This is a very true one. Details matter. Yes. And, like, we've gone through so many different... And like, I, I don't... I think our listeners now, because we've talked about it so much, especially with, um, you oh, know, I mean, you
0: see it with the, with the Canucks. A hundred percent.
1: I mean, and there's been, like, the before and after. So people see it. They know it, right? We saw the before with Travis, and then Bruce came in, and then you saw the before last year with Bruce at the beginning, and then after with talk, and you see the differences. And, you know, we talk about how details matter, and then we talk about the goals the team is scoring by winning pucks. Like, like for instance, the... Um, The Garland line. Yeah. Right. Like, how are they scoring goals? They're winning puck battles along the walls. Right. They're making low high passes. Guys get into the net, getting good body position. I mean, we're talking about things that matter. They make a good line change, gives their teammate a good chance to be able to create something instead of playing catch up. I mean, these are details that matter, and sometimes those details don't show up in these analytics. And you look at some of the chances, you're like, well, you know, Edmonton, they should be better. It's just bad goaltending. It's like, well, look at how long some of these shifts are. Look at how bad some of these line changes are. And look at the two on ones. Look at the three on ones going the other way. Look at the cross seam passes being allowed on the. Because guy's getting out of position. And yeah, it looks like a high danger chance, but that chance is far greater than any chance you're generating when a team is set in front of the goaltender. Just because it's a good shot from a good area doesn't mean it's getting the goalie to move east west and there isn't somebody tapping a puck in back door. Whereas on the other end, you're giving up back door tappings all the yeah. time. Like how many how many back door ins did we see this, this Canucks team give up in the first 25, 30 games last year? All kinds. All the year kinds. before, which, like we, we've seen it before, right? So you eliminate those things. All of a sudden, you're a lot better defensively. Mm-hmm. So I, I'm with you. I think oftentimes the easy thing to point to is goaltending. And it's true sometimes, right? Good goaltending masks problems. Bad goaltending can create issues. All that's true. And there has been a level of bad goaltending for some of these teams, absolutely. But when you watch the types of chances they're giving up, it's not a coincidence that they're losing more than they're winning.
0: Well, I think the, the big one for me, uh, and I heard Kevin Woodley cite this stat, Edmonton was, what, 30th, 31st in rush chances against before they made the coaching change, and now they're third in rush chances against. <laughs> so they went from being basically the worst team in the National Hockey League at allowing rush chances to being the third best. And a lot of that is just details. Are you making the right pinch? Are you trying to? What's the the line talk it says? Are you trying to hit a home run on every single shift? You can't do that. No, live live to fight another shift. Live to fight another shift. And I think a lot of times you see it a lot with with young teams. I think Buffalo's going through it. I think Ottawa's going through it, where young players, you know, they they get used to playing a certain way, and they know that they can get away with certain things when they come up from the CHL wherever they were playing, and that those sort of habits can linger early in their their nhl careers to the point where they get burned quite a bit and maybe like their overall game looks fine but they still get burned for some big chances because they make some big mistakes and it's very hard for a coach to take a team from the start of a rebuild into an actual better period like there's how many coaches have actually done that? The only one that immediately comes to mind is maybe Todd McClellan with the LA Kings, where he's taken a team from, like, hey, we're, we're we're about to be really bad, and we're trying to come out of it. Bat- Mike Babcock, maybe, with the Maple Leafs early in his career, but as we saw, he could not take them, ultimately, all he, the he, way through the rebuild. He got them to the playoffs, but he couldn't do much more. Than there that. was a shelf life. There was a shelf life. So, DJ Smith is going through that. I think, you know, Granado and – um in, uh, in Buffalo is probably going to go through that at some point, too, because their defensive game is, is really frail, even though he might be a really good coach. He's just not getting what he needs to out of them. And it just really highlights that how difficult it is
1: for teams to come out of a rebuild. It's absolutely it's, you know, and and. and... We we talk about this all the time, like rebuilding and tearing it down. And I do think I have a lot of time for that philosophy, depending on what situation you find yourself in. And sometimes you're in a spot where you have no other solution than hit the reset button. But this idea that hitting the reset button necessarily leads to good results within three to four or five years to me is complete hogwash. It can, but it has to be executed perfectly. And as much as you think the margin for error is bigger because you have, you know, you think of it as a long term project, more assets, but it's actually more it's finer. Because yeah. you have to get all those things that you don't have in place and put together into an area where it excels within a time frame that you look at and say, Hey, our fans aren't gonna revolt. Mm-hmm. You know, because like, people say like nobody wants to go through a 10 year rebuild. Right. And the worst way you can do that, and I don't disagree, is trying to retool on the fly sometimes and, and trying to hitch your wagon to a team that's already done. You know, like an aging team a year and then you compound it with adding more bad contracts. and Now it's going to be hard for you to get out of it. But in terms of just hitting the reset button and it getting better, the Ottawa Senators have missed the playoffs six straight years, probably mm-hmm. going to be seven straight years now. Yeah. The Buffalo Sabres have missed the playoffs 12 straight years. Yeah. This is going to be 13 years now.
0: The only team that's worse, I think, in pro sports is the New York Jets.
1: Yeah. Sorry, Dom. <laughs> uh, the San Jose Sharks have missed the playoffs 40 years in a row. How many years away are they from being oh, a playoff man. team?
0: That's <laughs> man. It's going to be so ugly for San Jose. Right? Because they are, like, nowhere even close.
1: No, and I mean, Buffalo's rebuilt a rebuild, like, seven times yeah. at this point. You know, and...
0: And even... Chicago, like you see it right now with Chicago. Look at that roster
1: you saw yesterday, man. It's
0: Bedard and friends, man. Like how far away are they from actually building a team around Connor Bedard? And all the draft picks and all these things that you have added and accumulated, they can help. But you know what? It's still hard to make that turn from being really bad to actually starting to make the baby steps towards being an actual contender. And there's not a ton of teams that have actually done it. Like Colorado had to rebuild the rebuild. We've got, we've done this a, a, a thousand times that like most of the teams, it's never like a clean, Hey, three, four year rebuild. And then we are a true contender. You could say that maybe about the Maple Leafs, but they have one playoff series win in yeah. all these years and, since and, they went through and their and success
1: rebuild. story. Yeah. Rebuild. And, and even they didn't tear it down all the way. Morgan Riley was already there. Yeah. You know, Willie Nylander was drafted in 2014. The Rangers, with the benefit of
0: being the Rangers, they, they what? Did the the tank for one full big year? But they already had Sabanajad. They yeah. already had Chris Kreider. Yeah. And they were able to get me, uh, Artemi Panarin in free agency right away.
1: Yeah. And they got, you know, they traded for, I mean, the, the thing that really changed everything was getting Adam Fox for, for a first song. Yes. Because he didn't want to sign in Carolina and he didn't want to be in Calgary. So they got him for a second. And but that, a lot that was of, really. A,
0: a lot of what they built in New York is from
1: out of the organization. Yeah, they made some trades and added to it. I mean, the Devils last year were kind of the the big story, right? It's like, man, this is a team that's rebuilt now. They missed the playoffs four years in a row.
0: Another team that rebuilt the rebuild, too. (laughs)
1: Yeah. Well, yeah, because they they missed the playoffs four years in a row. Before that, they made the playoffs one year. and, And prior to that, they had missed the playoffs five straight years. So they've made the playoffs twice in the last 11 years. Yeah. The New Jersey Devils, and they're the model rebuild version of it. And even this year, they may not make the postseason.
0: So you're basically looking at a morsel of success in a decade if you truly go into yeah. the
1: the big rebuild. And I and I agree that Jer- Jersey has a bright future, but it's t- it takes a long time to get there. Sometimes, you know what I mean? Like I, I think we have to be more realistic when we talk about this tear it down rebuild strategies. And i and I'm for doing it depending on the situation. But when we start looking at proof of concept, how many proof of concepts do we have? That are successful in the cap era. I think the best one you can point to is the Pittsburgh Penguins. Yeah. And I mean, and you know why they rebuilt their team? They, they were, were insolvent. The break of bankruptcy. They were insolvent. The team was about to fold, essentially, right? Yeah. And they had to get rid of a bunch of guys, and over time it got better. But even then, I mean they drafted Marc Andre Fleury and uh Evgeny Malkin before the lockout, before the cap era. Yeah. Right before the cap era, and then came in and played. I mean, Malkin and Crosby rookies together in the same year, right? If I'm not mistaken. So that's the one example you can point to and say, hey, these guys tore it down and built it back up. And even that doesn't quite fit the criteria of trying to do it in the cap era and go all the way down. It's, it's a really dangerous endeavor. And I'm for trying. I, I think there's courage in doing so. But I, you can see why there's more reluctance around the league. because As you see the teams that are taking that approach, they're getting stuck in 10, 12, 13-year rebuilds here.
0: Well, and Anaheim is a really good example too. Um, they look like they have a lot of pieces kind of coming into place, but at the same time, you're still not seeing results and you've made a few, you know, free agent, like big free agent purchases to try and supplement your roster a little bit that don't make a ton of sense. Hello, Alex Kalorn, even Ryan Strom. I'm never going to say anything bad about my boy, Frankie V, but you know.
1: Oh, he's at, play, he's playing well he's at playing three fantastic. six five. I
0: don't mind Frankie V. You know, okay. Yeah. Give me Frank Vertrano every day of the week. Hey. Um, it's but it's just so incredibly difficult. And the one team out of all those teams, like Buffalo, still really uh, kind of I don't want to say pissing in the wind, but I'm going to say pissing in the wind. And the like, Ottawa, eventually
1: they'll be good, but it's like yeah, eventually every team gets good.
0: The Ottawa Senators. You know, just had to fire their coach today. Only team that's worse by points percentage in the Eastern Conference is the Columbus Blue Jackets. Another rebuild that is going really poorly. Yeah. Um. The, the only team that's sort of having a little bit of success is right now is Detroit. And I know we criticized their offseason, but one of the things I looked at with Detroit after the offseason is just what a concerted effort Steve Iserman made to, like, signing NHL guys to supplement the roster a little bit. And even if it doesn't look the best on paper or you're kind of looking at it and like, okay, where is all this going in the future? But now that they do have guys like Comfer in there and they signed Daniel Sprong and they brought in uh, Andrew Kopp last year and all the defensemen that they've gone through this year, like I, I, I have serious questions about their ceiling. But you know what? They might get back to the playoffs. They
1: might make the playoffs, year. but they missed the playoffs seven years in a row. Yeah. So it's going to take a, the better part of a decade for them to get get their act together. The and better they, part
0: of a decade. Yeah. And it's not all of their guys like that they drafted, and all the all the assets that they've been accumulating for all these years that are being the ones that are are truly carrying them. DeBrinkat, they got in through the big trade in the offseason, and it's still Dylan Larkin. The only the only huge hit that they've had in the draft is Moritz Sider.
1: Yeah. No, it is, and now there's there some guys that I like, like that they've drafted. Yeah,
0: Raymond and, and some other guys. Yeah, have, they're, have they're guys been I good. like,
1: and I think their future should be bright. They have a lot of assets. They should be able to get out of it finally and be good. And this is not to sit here and justify what what the Canucks and Jim Benning did. Not at all. I mean, Canucks have had their worst decade in franchise history the last ten years, making the playoffs only twice. Right? Like it's not. You know, this is not uh, a uh, uh, an endorsement for what Vancouver's done. Just the point of the teams that are going through these big rebuilds. It's very hard to get out of it. Somebody asked us about the LA Kings. Are they a rebuild team? They're more in the in the Retool. lines
0: of the of the Rangers rebuild.
1: Right. So right now, if you give me the Kings' three best players, who are they? Kopitar, Dowdy. We just gave the two that <laughs> I've been that I was trying to tell you. They've been there I mean you take Dowdy and Kopitar out of it. Yeah. They're probably not the same team. Maybe Fiala after that. You know, and then, yeah, you had Fiala a Kempe. I'm, I'm a big fan of Kempe. I like, you know, a lot of their players. I like Deneau a lot. You know, I know you're a big Deneau fan too. There are a lot of good things about their team. I'm not trying to diminish any of it, but they're a team that still had a lot of pieces, or at least two of their best pieces. are still players that yeah. were there. And the Bruins are a team that never had to rebuild. They just but kind they of did, did it all the time. They didn't have the big reset year. They had the reset year, but they didn't have like Where They really had the rebuild. three first round draft picks. But none of those picks really worked out. No. But you they, know.
0: they 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 had the reset in the middle. Somewhere. They had,
1: yeah, yeah, and, and they had guys emerge like a Pasternak, the later first round pick, Charlie McAvoy, and they hit some home runs on it. And they kind of retooled on the fly and got there. They didn't reset the team, right? And the whole reset thing it's it's a really it's just to me it's fraught with a lot of peril. And I think the idea of a team can rebuild totally within four to five years is more fantasy than reality. I think it could be possible, but everything has to go right. Like, we're talking about, like, you have to get everything right from your player evaluation, the veterans you mix in with the team, the right coach, the right development, and a ton of luck has to go your way as yeah. well.
0: I think uh, a team that could be in for sort of a, a quick mini retool rebuild is is the Calgary Flames. Now, the issue with their roster is you've got Huberto and Cadre signed till forever, but... You know, you have a lot of unrestricted free agents that could bring you in a lot of assets right now. And that might be able to help you to build something. Because if you look at all of these teams, you know, we mentioned the Rangers, we mentioned the L.A. Kings. And one of the things that's helped them is the amount of cap space they opened up when they went through their big rebuilds. Because it wasn't the draft picks that have helped them get out of it. It's the trades they've made with the assets, with the draft picks that they added through you know, selling off pieces. But rarely is it the guys – it's not always the guys you draft that end up taking you out of your big down period. It's Dan Riccio and Satyar Shah. Coming up, Don Taylor. He'll join us next on Canuck Central. Final segment here on uh, Canuck Central, Dan Riccio and Satyar Shah. Canucks up against the red-hot Nashville Predators tomorrow in Smashville. So, uh, should be an interesting one. Fourth game in six nights. Generally a tough spot, especially for a road team. But Canucks have found ways to win. They continue to put in professional performances. And we expect no different tomorrow. We'll be on at uh, 3 o'clock for Canucks Central, 4 o'clock for the pregame, 4.30 on Sportsnet Pacific with the Canucks Central pregame for tomorrow against the Nashville Predators who've won 13 of their last 16 games. Let's bring in our next guest. It is Don Taylor. He joins us every Monday here on Canucks Central. What's happening, Donnie?
2: Uh, just waiting for a minor hockey game to start out here in Richmond, guys, and uh, making time for you, no problem.
0: Uh, it's it's always the best. Uh, we we do appreciate it. So it's um, like we continue to to evaluate the Canucks, and I, I feel like the micro analysis of of every single game is is starting to get to us a little bit. But over the weekend, they take three of four in the Central Time Zone. Playing basically, uh, you know, 11 a.m. in the morning Pacific time on Saturday. Do they not deserve, you know, some some credit points just for figuring out a way to, to bank some more points here over what was a tough schedule?
2: I've said this all year long, or well, it's not has the season's not over, but since October that this team is doing things that connect teams of the past rarely did. Uh, you forget they played a, you know um, a, a real. Uh, I would say landmark game, given what Roberto Luongo was up to on Thursday, a motion in the building They come up big, they win that game, and then they have to hit the road and play less than 48 hours earlier uh, later, given the uh, start time in Minnesota. And they end up getting a point out of that game. And then they get, you know, the next day, and I know Chicago, they're not going to win the Stanley Cup this year, but they get two points there. So I think if you asked Rick Tockett after that Florida game, would you like to have three points out of a possible four uh, in Minnesota and Chicago on the weekend given the travel schedule, I think he would say yes. Those are things that Canuck teams of the past just didn't do. When you're not at your best, when you're facing some adversity, even if it's a lesser opponent, they didn't come through, and they certainly did on the weekend. We're seeing things from this group that we just haven't seen very much. Since I'm going to go back to 1970, I think they've they've been pretty impressive.
1: No, I'm with you. I think it's been very impressive with where they found themselves now. I mean, they have 44 points in 32 games here, Donnie, and that means if they simply go 500, get 50 points in the next 50 games, they finish with 94 points, which should be good enough to make the postseason. And I'm not saying – it's acceptable if they go 500, but that's what the, the power of a good start through 32 games does. They found themselves in a position now where if they go through struggles, through some, some injuries, that should not derail their season anymore. And I think that deserves full marks.
2: Yeah, the only thing that can get in the way if a broadcaster goes on a radio station and says they have to go 500 the rest of the way and <laughs> jinxes them. So, I, I, you know, other than that, what, what, what could possibly stop them? Now, it's been really impressive, guys, and we're just not used to seeing good starts. I mean, going back to last year, like just how how important the good starts are, how important your goaltender is, your defensive record, and, yeah, of course, goals scored as well. But just all the numbers point to them making the playoffs, and isn't that going to be a whole lot of fun for everybody in Vancouver who has suffered so long? I mean, what is it, guys? They haven't hosted a playoff game. I know – COVID got in the way, but they haven't hosted a playoff game at Rogers Arena since twenty fifteen. Sounds like yesterday. It's not it's eight years ago. It'll be nine years ago, so it's been it's been a, a long time. It looks very, very good.
0: Well they have like just nine <laughs> losses in regulation. <laughs> Thirty two games. Yeah. It's it, it is super impressive and you know, I, I I know it's it's the sort of day and age that we're we're in, Donnie, where we're we're always wondering if, if things are sustainable or not. But for 32 games, you know what? The Canucks have had really good goaltending. Their defense is much more improved, and they do score a lot. They have some real high-end scores. I feel like after 32 games, are, are you not what your record says you are, or are we still in the evaluation process of who the Canucks actually are?
2: Well, we're past American Thanksgiving, and, yeah. you know, traditionally that's the that's the date that everybody looks at and says, okay, if you're in the playoffs, but you know, you know the story, 75% of teams are thereabouts, you know, make the playoffs. We're, I would say, fairly significantly past that, and here they are continuing to win, 5 one one in their last six games. The one thing that I think's really, really kind of, well, it's not kind of, because it is concerning, is that they've been out through this six-game stretch, and even going back a little bit before that, they've been outshot, significantly in the first period in all those games and that includes Minnesota and Chicago and Rick Tockett yesterday after the game said yeah we, we have to do something about that maybe you know mix up the routine change the routine whatever they're doing before the games or whatever they're doing the, the day before something has they can't keep playing with fire like that again even against the lesser teams that that's going that's going to bite them if it continues disturbing trend but it it comes with you know, five wins in and, and, and uh, you know, o- overtime or a shootout point in those six games, but something that's uh, that, that Rick Tocchet is very aware of.
1: I think there's a balance of um, crediting giving the team credit for where they are and what they've done and also judging them at a different standard because of the success that they've had. I think the question is sometimes I think we criticize them for things that are out of their control. Like, are they going to be like this next season or how much better can they get? Is this the peak that they have? And and, and it's fair to have those discussions, but I feel like sometimes our criticisms and some of our concerns with this team are more academic and more into the future as opposed to what they're doing this season.
2: Well, I think a lot of that has to do with just the history uh, you know, a, a lot of that will come from people who've been around for a while and you just expect things to fall apart. And I know that drives Aquilini and Jim Rutherford and Alvin nuts, and maybe even R- R- Rick Tockett, but I think where that's that's where a lot of it comes. It's like, yeah, they're playing well, but, and and it just, it's just the nature of the market that's been burned so many times, that's been dis- disappointed so many times. I, I, I understand it. But there also have been times where they have been good, and I think this looks like it's gonna it's gonna be one of them. It's just hard for an old dog to learn new tricks, and in this case, uh, a market that's been burned a lot. It's it's hard for them to go. You know what? The Canucks are pretty good. And I think that's where a lot of it comes from. So I I, I don't blame people.
0: I. Uh... <laughs> There's a lot of things I kind of get uh, unnecessarily uh, angry about sometimes, Donnie, but uh, when, when, by your estimation, when did it become a bad thing for a good, for a team to have a good goalie? Because I feel like every time we talk about the Canucks having a good goalie, it's like, yeah, it's nice to have, but also like, you don't want to rely on that goalie and they give up too many chances. They, they rely on Thatcher Demko too much. And there's so many situations around the league that are just a complete mess goaltending wise. And I I just don't see how you evaluate the Canucks goaltending and are like, well, they rely on it too much. It's like, well, you have it. You you can believe in Thatcher Demko. This is this is not a bad thing to have by any stretch of the imagination.
2: Well, I mean, okay, let's let's go beyond beyond that. They got a pretty good backup too, right? I mean Casey has been. That's one of the. Well, I, I'll say it's one of the best trades in recent Canuck history if if only because they took a really negative situation and this is nothing against Tanner Pearson but it was a really bad a real bad look for the connection they turned it into something they really really needed so it's not just it's not I almost said Lewanberg there it's not just Demko you know it's also Casey DeSmith and last time I checked I checked there's nothing in the rule book that says you can't have a good goaltender there's nothing in the rule book that says you can't have two good goaltenders uh, it's I get where people are coming from because I think again because of that connect negativity and I know I know all about it, folks. I grew up in this market, uh, you know. It's like, well, what if Demko gets hurt like he did last year? Yeah. Then what? Then what do you have? It's it's I guess maybe it's natural to do that, but and and enjoy him while he's in, in in goal and they're not breaking any rules. And I, I think again it goes back to just people expecting things to go poorly. But it's, it's really enjoyable right now, and he is a star. He's the a, a second star of the week, and in, enjoy him. And he, he's not going away. I mean, uh, he, he's, he's just been absolutely fabulous. And we're, like I say, they're not breaking any rules.
1: Well, and, you know, goaltending-wise, it's been fantastic. I think a big reason for it is their overall team defense, and maybe even more specifically, the improved defenders themselves. And it's clear that this group of defensemen on this club right now is the best they've had in five or six years. I've had people wonder, is this the best group of defensemen they've had since 2011? How would I throw this one by you? The last time the Canucks made the playoffs, like legitimately made the playoffs when there was not a pandemic and people could go watch their games, was 2015 when they played the Calgary Flames. That blew line had Alex Edler, Dan Hamhuis, Chris Tanev, Kevin Bieksa, Lucas Spiza and Yannick Weber. Mm. Which defense yeah. do you think is better? That defense or the one they currently have? Or are they at least comparable? I think the high ends clearly better, but if you look at the depth of it.
2: I think the depth is still question this one's better. And one thing that Sat, you and I went to those games in Calgary yeah. when we were working at the old Funny Station. Yes. And <laughs> one thing that one, one thing that people forget is that Kevin Bieksa was at the end of it, and, yeah. and, and we, we all, everybody in this market, loves Kevin Bieksa, you know, Hockey Night in Canada, and what he did for this franchise. You know, uh, game-winning goal against San Jose, 2011, and all that. But but Kevin was at the end of his time in Vancouver, and he wasn't what he was in, in the past. So when, it sounds maybe deeper than it was, right? And 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 I I, I don't think there's any question that this group is bigger. And and maybe meaner and deeper, and it has Quinn Hughes, right? So I, I would I would give, I would give the nod to this group, no question about it. And the other thing about this group is I don't remember any real real hard complaints when Carson Sousi was playing before he got injured. So you still have you still have him, to, you still have a card to play with this group. Carson Suci and maybe making another deal. Rick Dudleywall still hearing about Tanev. So it looks really good uh right right now and I I take this group over that one. Well,
0: I know you you guys uh, on uh, Donnie and Dolly today talked about uh, Zadorov and maybe what uh the next contract might look like for him. I mean he's been he's been a really good inclusion on this Canucks roster. There's no real doubting that. He seems to get better with each each passing game. He sticks up for Elias Petterson yesterday. But I still think it's as far as like priorities go. I would imagine, you know, getting Pedersen done and even Hronik after that has to be above the priority of, of figuring out a new deal for Nikita Zadorov. Yeah,
2: you, oh definitely. I mean, we're talking about stars here, and yeah. so yeah, d- definitely. The interesting thing I think with the Canucks right now is have people like Brock Besser and um, Dakota Joshua. And I say that because I think a lot of people at the start of this year probably said, okay, you know, Peterson and Roenick, you have to get them uh, signed, some other people as well. Best of will play out is two years, and then he's gone. He's gone to Minnesota, and that'll be just fine because, you know, you know, 18 goals last year, and a real, real, it's, it's better for him to move on. Uh, Dakota Joshua, we, we saw what happened at training camp where Rick Tuck had ripped into him publicly, and, okay, he'll be gone at the end of the year. Now – and, you know, they wanted to unload Garland as well. Now it's like, man, you want to keep all these guys. It looks really – Bester has, has had such a resurgence. I mean, he's got five more goals than he did all of last year, and we're in mid, mid-December. Dakota Joshua has just been so good, you know, and now that he's in shape and playing on that line with uh, Bluger and Garland, you want to mess with that? But, but here's the thing, you can't keep them all. Like, it, it's, I know it falls under the category of pleasant problem, but there's only so much money to, to, to go around. Some of these guys have to go, but I, I'm, I'm just wondering th- just how well they've played and what's that done to their plan, because I'm sure a lot of the, you know, you and Patrick Elvin privately might have thought to themselves, well, we'll be rid of this guy next year. We'll be rid of this guy the season after, so we'll be fine with Pedersen. Now things are a little bit different. Really interesting uh, times, and again, it falls under the category of pleasant problems.
1: Yeah, and I think that's one of the big things too. Like The team has some problems, but they're kind of pleasant ones now. It's more about yeah. like you know how do they figure out ways to keep guys, how do they add to the group still, and what are things they can do. And as far as this season goes, like one of the things that uh, Reach and I were talking about in the first segment, and it's a big difference compared to where they were last year, is they don't really have too many awkward fits on the roster anymore. Right now, Tyler Myers is playing a more reduced role alongside Zadorov. Yeah. He's not being asked to do as much. Connor Garland has found a role, and he's excelling playing on the third line. The only the guy who's an awkward fit is Kuzmenko on the fourth line, but we know that if and when he gets going, there's a spot for him in the top six. And when you get players to play in positions that make sense for them to have proper roles and there's you know real ownership, I think it also allows the team to be cohesive as well. And I think that's a big part of their success because you have guys in described roles where they're having real success in, yeah. And you still
2: have Kuzmenko on that first power play, which yeah. I think you have to do, otherwise, I think. You'd lose him completely. But, yeah, I'm trying to think. Awkward fit it would be it would be Kuzmenko, and it, I, that would be about it. Which yeah. um, is pr- pretty impressive, but you expect him, given his skill set, to, to turn things around. But, Chad, even if he doesn't, it's just, he's got another year left. It's not like they're locked in for four or five years uh, with him. I'm not wishing him anything bad or anything anything like that. But the deal is really good for the Canucks, especially if he does continue to... You know, relatively speaking, underachieved. I, I'm trying to think of, like. he would be, I guess, the number one negative story. But you still see glimpses here where you think, you know, he could he could turn things around. Here's my prediction. With I don't going off track a bit here. My prediction with Kuzmenko, and I thought maybe we'd see this in Minnesota. By the way, that three on three was just dreadful. Oh, the other horrible! Oh, horrible. Just just terrible. But but I I, I, I thought okay. The thing that's going to turn Kuzmenko around is for him to get out there three-on-three, three, and maybe this is what Rick Tocket was thinking. And he's going to dipsy-doodle and score just a beautiful goal, and he'll go on from there. So you might might want to look for that. But right now, you're right. He's about the only guy that seems like an awkward fit.
0: Uh, before we let you go, Donnie, uh, this texter says, uh, tell Don to be nice to the refs at this game. Uh, they might give you a call that way. <laughs>
2: <laughs> hey, I had one bad incident about 10 years ago and Paul Chapman from the province, by a complete fluke, happened to be in the crowd. So I'll, I'll, I'll just leave it at that.
0: I've never heard the end of it. That's it. <laughs> oh, That's awesome. Uh, thanks for this, Donnie. I always appreciate the time.
1: Uh, anytime, guys.
0: And uh, happy holidays to you as, uh, yeah, same as to well. You. Yeah, you. Merry well. Christmas,
1: Donnie.
0: Uh, there is uh, Don Taylor joining us here on, uh, on Canuck Central. You no know, those things uh those things will live with you forever. Yeah. Uh like me last night I uh played D and I, I I I honestly I should never play D in, in beer league. <laughs> I'm uh, very get, bad. Did you
1: get uh, exposed?
0: Uh well I just got my footwork all wrong and uh you know just tripped over the blue line went uh heels over my head.
1: Ah. <laughs> uh, so so you're saying uh, playing defense is not that easy?
0: Well I I'll just never hear the end of it. The refs are coming up to me like, "Hey, you okay, Reach?" <laughs>
1: We need an animal to go with chaos.
0: Fill in the blank for Dan Riccio. My my right go-to line is like, just don't don't analyze me like I analyze the Canucks because so, that would be that would be, that would hurt. So nobody
1: said you think you're cool because you're on TV today.
0: <laughs> no, nobody said that one today. <laughs> well, that, was, that was a different ref. <laughs>
1: It's a true story. Uh, do we even have time for that? Do we save that for a different day?
0: Well, we might have to save that one for a different day. Maybe somebody's
1: going to have to ask you about it in the mailbag. <laughs> it's your story to tell, not mine. It is
0: It is my story to tell. <laughs> uh, we love referees. We love referees. Absolutely. Uh, Dan Richo and, uh, and Satyar Shah. Um, before we go, Canucks and Natural Predators tomorrow. It's uh, quite a big one. Not really. I mean... It's game 33 of the season. They're all big, but Canucks not living and dying with every result in December as they may have yeah. in past years, which is is kind of nice. But um, there is a team that is living and dying, living and dying with every result right now, and it's the team that's coming up here on Sportsnet 650. It's the uh, and my Seattle Seahawks. Have we figured out
1: who's starting? Is it Geno Smith? So uh, Is it Drew Locke? So Geno was supposed to, but apparently nobody's seen him in, in, in uniform. <laughs> it's been Drew Locke. But didn't they do this the last Why time? Why is Geno Smith active? I, I, don't, I haven't figured this out. He didn't practice all week. Apparently the-
0: John Schneider's already denied it on radio
1: 54 minutes before kickoff. What, that he not healthy? Yeah, they're not saying. They're Even not on saying. the pregame but show. Th- this <laughs> happened before. Wasn't uh, a, was, There was a game where Gino they didn't think Gino was going to play, and he wasn't out there. Then he just stepped out right yeah. before the game started, and he started. So there is precedence here from the Seahawks doing this.
0: Drew Locke took first-team reps all week long, and now Gino's just going to start. Apparently he looked good in warm-up, but nobody's seen him since they've uh, retaken the field here. Uh, but it is pretty much, I, I mean, I want to say pretty much, it is a must-win for the Seattle Seahawks <laughs> this week uh, in this Monday nighter against the Philadelphia Eagles. Now, Eagles are helped by the Cowboys losing to the Bills yesterday, so that works in their favor. They uh, don't have to get the win. Jalen Hurts playing at less than 100%. He's been battling the flu the last couple of days. But Seahawks at 6-7. and seven. The Rams are now 7-7. Seven and seven. This has been a really ugly stretch for the Seahawks, and uh, I think it's really showed us who this team is Ooh. in the last couple of weeks.
1: But you know the Seahawks are going to win today. For right? them
0: to to make the playoffs, it feels like they they need to win out now.
1: I think the Hawks are going to win today. I think they'll win. People will start getting back on the bandwagon again.
0: They're they're that team that like just as you feel like you're out. They pull you back in.
1: Yes. But it's crazy how, like, it, so about three weeks. Like, the weeks, opposite
0: of the Cowboys. Like, just when you want to start believing in the Cowboys, they lay an egg like they
1: did yesterday. Yeah, it was tough. And I'm a bit of, I've am a been a Cowboys backer, <laughs> and yes. it's been tough. But, um, but I mean, they're still 10-4. and four. It's not like, I you know. know, it's a bad season. I mean, they have the same record as the Detroit Lions, and everybody's, you know, talking about how great the Lions are this year, and they've been fantastic, right? But about three weeks ago, four weeks ago, it looked like the NFC playoff picture was done and dusted. The Seahawks were going to get in. The, the Minnesota Vikings were going to get in. But now that has completely changed, yeah. and and it's like it goes what even even Atlanta is alive, even Green Bay's alive at oh, six and eight God, still. Atlanta, what a what a dud!
0: Uh, if there is one team I would actively cheer against to make the playoffs, it is the Atlanta Falcons. <laughs> I hate teams that are poorly coached. They really they, oh they, you're not a
1: big uh, Arthur Smith fan? N- no.
0: <laughs> Let's just draft all these great skill players in the first round and then not use any of them so that we can lose to the Carolina Panthers without giving up a touchdown. Uh, All right, Seahawks and Philadelphia Eagles should be a good one on the Monday Nighter. It's coming up next. For producers Eddie and Vic, my co-host Sat, I'm Dan. You've been listening to Canuck Central.